you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to come to the end of chapter 22 today. I know it's very rare that we get to an end of a chapter, but we get to finish one today. Chapter 22 has been a chapter of questions, 
as the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes have all been coming to Jesus and asking him a series of questions. And these have been tough questions, hard questions they've been asking him, and he's answered every single one of them in a brilliant way. But today, as we come to the end, Jesus turns the tables on them, and he's going to ask them the biggest question that you'll ever ask. He turns it around on them, and he asks what uh, a question that I think everybody, I don't say I think, I know everybody in here must answer. Every man, woman, and child must answer this question, and not just answer it, you must get it right. To be wrong on this question is to be wrong on everything. To be right on this question is to be right on everything. So we're going to ask the question today that Jesus asked. That the title of the sermon comes straight from the passage. The question comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. I think if he were here today, he'd ask you this question. And the question is, what do you think about Christ? So what we're going to do today, I mean, you're going to see it. We're going to preach Christ. And we're going to think about Christ. The title says think. What do you think? What do you think about Christ? So we're going to have to turn our minds on. We're going to have to think a little bit about who he is. And I want you to do that as we look at this passage. What do you think about Christ? So let's stand together. And again, this is my favorite topic. If I could preach on anything I wanted to preach on. And we we preach in an expository way, verse by verse, passage by passage. But when I get to come to just a, a topic on Christ, that, that just, it, it's, it's my favorite topic. So uh, if I get a little bit excited today, which isn't like me, right? Then <laughs> you'll know why. I get to preach Christ today. What a Sunday to preach Christ. So we're going to look at today verses 41 to 46 of Matthew 22 and ask this question. And I know, I know this. The answer is in this passage. So we've got to get it right. Let's find it here. Matthew 22, verse 41. It says, and while the Pharisees were gathering together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? And they say unto him, The son of David. And he saith unto them, Well then, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. So if David then call him Lord, then how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. He silenced them. And I love it. So let's answer that question today. What do you think about Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to open your word. And for the opportunity today to study and to think about your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I am so excited to preach Christ today. I want, my desire is that the people in here would see Jesus in a way that is so glorious and so marvelous that they would want to praise Christ and they would want to live for Christ and they would want to share Christ. So God, help me to do that. Help me to present Christ the best way that I can. I know I'll never be able to fully show how great Christ is, but let us touch the hem of his garment today to see Christ and to know who he really is. So teach us these things today and help us as we, as we go through this. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Life is full of questions. Uh, there's some small questions uh, that, that my kids like to ask. I mean, as a kid, you don't have a whole lot of questions. The number one question on my kids' mind right now is, what are we going to eat later? That's the biggest question that they have. 
Uh, I mean, they, they, they don't ask too many big questions, but as you get older, you realize that life has a lot of big questions that we have to answer. And, and they get bigger, I think, as you get older. I mean, you can go into high school and you think, what am I going to do after I graduate high school? Am I going to go to college? Am I going to get a job? And then it goes even deeper than that. Who am I going to marry? What am I going to do as a job? Where am I going to live? How am I going to raise my kids? Who am I going to vote for in the next election? These are big boy questions that you have to, have to ask and you have to find an answer for because it determines how you live life here. Those are big questions that you, you need to ask. We all, we're all going to ask those as we go through life on all of our decisions. We're going to ask, am I making the right decision? Am I doing the right thing? So these are big questions, but the question that we have before us today, it's not a big question. It is the biggest question that will ever be asked. It's been called the question of all questions. It is the most important question that anyone will ever ask you in your life. And we're going to ask it today and we're going to answer it today. It is the question of what do you think about the Lord Jesus Christ? And we have to get this one right. You say, why do we have to get this one right? Let me explain it to you. The answer to this question determines where you will spend all eternity. I mean, the... The question of where we're going to eat today, that just determines after, after church. This question determines where you'll spend all of eternity. Amen. This question is the difference between life and the difference between death. It's, it, this question is the difference between hope and despair, salvation and damnation, heaven and hell. This question matters more than any question that will ever be asked in your life. So you better get it right, and you better get it right right now. To be wrong on this is to be wrong on everything. You can get all the answers to all the tests and all the questions in all the world right, but if you're wrong here, you're wrong everywhere. Amen. This question matters and is weightier than any other question in the world. You've got to get this one right. You can't be wrong about Christ and be right with God. We must be right on Jesus Christ. Everything hinges on what we think about Jesus. And that's exactly why Jesus ends this conversation with this question. Again, I, I've told you that this is, uh, he's, he's building up, this is the last week of his life. Well, we think it might be Tuesday of the last week of his life. And he's spent it in the temple. And he's had a crowd all around him. And he's been very popular. And he's been teaching. And out of the blue, these Pharisees and Sadducees. And, and just let me give you an idea who they are. They're the religious leaders of the day. They're the who's who of, of teachers. And the who's who of priests and of preachers. They're the who's who of uh, academia. They're, they're, they're smart. And they know the Bible. And they walk up to Jesus because they hate him. And they ask him a, a series of questions. They're doing their best to trip him up. They ask him about paying taxes. You know, you, you want to pay taxes, Jesus? Then they ask him about the resurrection. And a guy, a woman who's been married seven times, who's she going to be married to when she dies and goes to heaven? And last week we looked at the question of what's the greatest commandment of all? And every time they ask him a question, they're sitting there just, just kind of holding it back, wanting to laugh at him because they think there's no way this guy can answer it. Nobody's ever been able to answer these questions. They're trick questions. And they throw it at Jesus. They're, they're peppering him with these questions. And he takes every single one of them and gives everyone a brilliant answer. They realize there's no way we can trick Jesus. This man cannot be twisted. He cannot be tripped up. This man is going to answer every question that we ask. So they've been silenced. And, and in verse 41, they're huddled up. They're gathered. They're sitting there saying, what are we going to do now? We can't, we can't get this guy. And while they're sitting there huddled up, Jesus says, 
my turn. I like that. Jesus turns it around and says, students, now the teacher's asking questions. And he lays before them the question of all questions. I think he's, he's, he's giving them the big boy question because the questions that they've been asking are, are just tiny little things. You know, paying taxes? Yeah, okay, that's a good question. Who's, who's going to be married in the resurrection? Okay, that's just kind of silly. Greatest commandment? I mean, you're, you're just doing that on purpose to try to trick me. You want a question? I'll give you a question. And he turns the tables on them and asks them the best question that's ever been asked. The question that has been asked then and multiple times. He looked at Peter in Matthew 16 and said, who do people say that I am? This is the big question. They were asking it then. They've been asking it throughout history. We ask it today. We'll ask it until Christ returns. This is the biggest question in all the world. Life and eternity depends on getting this one right. So today, in this passage, have I, have I made it big enough? I want you to sit in your pews and say, wow, I need the answer to this. I can't be wrong on this. And the answer lies within these verses. And we all need this answer. If you're standing before God one day and He says, you, you don't get in unless you get this answer right, who do you say Christ is? You better have an answer ready. But you'd better answer it before you get there. You better answer it right now. All, all eternity depends on getting this one right. So let's answer it. Let's think about who Christ is. This is the heart of Christianity. This is my favorite subject to preach on. Let's preach Christ today. Starting with verse 42, I want to show you, and we're going to, we're going to ask that question, what do you think about Christ? I want to show you the close answer. The close answer. Because he asked this question here, and I think it's a really, really great question. He looks at him and he says in verse 42, What do you think about Christ? Whose son do you say he is? So that this is him asking them, and we need to know what the question means before we can get the answer right. So he's looking at them and he's saying, what is your opinion? And if I were you, I would circle that or highlight that or write it down in your notes, Christ. That word is, is, is stands out in this passage. What is your opinion about Christ? And he doesn't say me. He doesn't say Jesus the Christ. He just says Christ. It's a, it's a term not meaning, he's not saying, what do you think about me? He's saying, what do you think about the, the cross that is supposed to come? The, all of the Old Testament looked for the Messiah, or the Christ, or, or the, the anointed one that, that would come. It started in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when, when everything fell and God said, He promised a deliverer will come and will crush the head of the serpent and, and will bring salvation to, to His people. And all through the Old Testament, I can summarize the entire Old Testament in just... Three words. He is coming. The whole Old Testament looks forward to a Christ coming or a Messiah coming. Every prophecy is pointing towards Jesus or towards a Christ on the way. So they're asking, he's asking these Jews, these religious leaders, what do you think about him? Who do you think he'll be? What line or lineage will he come from? What family will he be in? And for them, it's an easy question. It was simple. They all, all knew this. It would be like me asking my kids, who's the baby in the manger? 
Well, that's easy. It's easy. They, they knew this. Every prophecy told them whose line he'd be in. And the answer is right here. Look what they say. So what do you think about Christ? Whose son will he be? And they say unto him, what? that's easy. I mean, I think they're sitting there saying, ha oh, he ain't going to get us. He's the son of David. That's what the, the Bible says. That's what the, the whole Old Testament is going to say. That he will be of the line of David. That he'll be a, a physical descendant of King David. The greatest king in, in all the Old Testament and probably the greatest king in the history of the world. It was prophesied, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and, and, and in multiple other places that the Messiah will come from the line of David. From Judah to David to Jesus or to the Christ. They knew that. They under, understood that. That he would be a flesh and blood offspring of David. That his great, 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 I don't know how far it goes, grandfather would be David. The whole Old Testament said that's who the Messiah would be or who the Christ will be. He will be a man like David. He will be a man like a king. He will be a man like a, a warrior. And he will come and show up and overthrow all the oppressors. And he will lead the, the nation of Israel politically. And he will take the throne in Jerusalem. And he will, he will knock down all their enemies. And they will rule and reign right there in Israel when he comes. That's what they were thinking. He'll be a great man. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Listen. That's the right answer. It's right. Christ will be from the son of David. That's all through the Old Testament. He, it's clear teaching that he'll be of, of the line of David. They got that right. And they're sitting there thinking, yes, ding, 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 right answer. I mean, and I want to show you this because Jesus met all that criteria. I, I, want, I want to take you. I mean, I want you to do some teaching because we're thinking about Christ today. Turn with me to Matthew 1. We were in Matthew 1 about... <laughs> two and a half years ago. I, I expect you remember this though. Matthew 1, verse 1. Just to show you. It says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. That Jesus came from the line of David. So, and and I, I don't want to just stop there. Turn with me to Matthew 9 heard a preacher say the other day, and I've said it before, but there's nothing like standing up as, as a preacher and hearing pages turn. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. It says, And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. These blind men could see what the, the spiritual leaders couldn't see. I'll, t I'll take you to another one. I know you guys want to, I just want to hear more pages turn. Matthew 12, verse 23. <laughs> Listen to that. 12, 23. And all the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? You say, Josh, there's no way you have another one. <laughs> Matthew 15, verse 22. It's almost like Matthew's trying to make a point about who Jesus is. That's been promised in the Old Testament. And the one who showed up in the New Testament is exactly who's been prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus is the Christ. So let me, let me, where was it? Matthew 15, 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. 
Matthew 15, 22. You say, it is, there's no way you've got another one. <laughs> Matthew chapter 20. Am I doing that just to get you guys to turn the pages? Maybe. Verse 30 of Matthew 20. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Now at the end of verse 31 it says, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. I mean, it just keeps on going. Is Matthew trying to make a point here? Hammering that in, that the one who has prophesied in the Old Testament has arrived in the New Testament. Jesus is the, the Christ. Okay, so you got another one? I've got another one. Matthew 21. Last one, and I'm done. Matthew 21. This is just a chapter over. We preached this about four months ago. Verse 9. This was, this was the Sunday. This was three days before what we're preaching. Verse 9. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Verse 15 will say the same thing. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children were crying in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Every time you see that, what they're saying is, this is the Christ. This is the one that's been promised. So you're saying, they're right. They got this right. But the problem is, they were close, but it wasn't completely right. They got that part right. It was only half right. They didn't go far enough. They, they, they get that he's going to be of the line of David. They get that he's going to be a man. And he's going to be a king. And he's going to rule. And he's going to be a, a warrior. They, they get that. They've got half right. Half right is also half wrong. They're close, but they, they didn't go far enough. And many today, I'm going to apply this to you, because there's many today, just like these Pharisees in Matthew 22 who get a little bit right about Jesus, but they also get a lot wrong. You can't be half right about Jesus and be right with God. You've got to get the whole picture. There's some that get some right, but that's not enough. You're left with a, a nice Jesus, a teaching Jesus, a motivating Jesus, and I hear these all the time preached. He's a help me Jesus when I'm in trouble. He's a friend Jesus when I need a friend. He's an accepting Jesus of everyone. All those things might be true about Jesus, but it's only half right. It's only close. And close doesn't count here. Horseshoes and hand grenades, close. Jesus, close don't work. You gotta get the full picture. You gotta get the, the whole thing. And many are wrong on this. Mormons have, have some nice ideas about Jesus, but they're totally wrong. Amen. Catholics have some good ideas about Jesus, but they're wrong. Amen. Jehovah's Witnesses have a theology about who Jesus is, but they're wrong. Amen. Muslims even say Jesus was a, a prophet and a, and a teacher and, and, a, and a great man, but they're wrong on Jesus. You can't be close with Jesus. You've got to have the full understanding of who He is. They miss so much. Jesus is so much more than this. Jesus is so much more than a teacher. He is a teacher, but He's more. Jesus is so much more than just a, a nice guy. Jesus is so much more than a, a motivator and a, and a help when I'm in need. He's so much more than a, than a friend and, and accepting with his arms wide open. He's so much more greater than we can ever imagine, ever dream, or ever hope for. Jesus is greater than, than just a man. 
So we don't need a close answer. We need a correct answer. We can't be half right. We can't be close. The central defining issue of Christianity is who's Jesus. And we can't be close. We need to be correct. So that's what Jesus does. We go from the close answer to the correct answer. And if you think you've been thinking now, just just wait. Watch what Jesus does. He gets their wheels a-turning. You know, this is, this is good. He gives them the correct answer in verse 43. He says unto them, okay. Notice he doesn't say, you're wrong. It's like he's saying in verse 43, okay, you've got that part right. I'll give you that. The Christ will be of the line of David. He will be a man. He will come from that line and be a king. Yes. Well, let's take it up a notch. Let's turn this thing up. <laughs> Let, let's, let's expand our thinking on Christ. Let's get above our, our realms down here where He's a man. Let, let, let's, let's go beyond anything we could ever imagine. I mean, that right there, what we just said, was down here earthly thinking. Let's go into the heavenlies and see Jesus in His full picture. You ready for this? So he looks at these guys and he says, and that first one was just a setup question, for now, the real question. He says, well then, how does David, in spirit, call him Lord? That's a good question. If, if he's David's son, which you just said he was, then how can he also be David's Lord? If he's David's son, and everybody knows that... The, <laughs> That the son is, is, the father is far superior to the son. That's just how it works. My boys get that. I'm far superior than my boys are. <laughs> that's, that's the way it's always worked. I mean, the, the father's always greater than the son. My dad said that just, just I think, last night. <laughs> we were standing in the living room, and Isaiah's about, you know, here to me now. <laughs> And somebody looked at dad and said, when, at what age did, did Josh pass you up? And dad, it ain't happened yet. <laughs> that, that's just how it worked. You know, that, that's what he's saying. How then David, who's this great king, and he's going to be on the line of David, he's going to be his great, 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 great grandson. How is he going to call him? He should be great. He's one of the greatest kings in the history of the world. How can he call him? Lord, that's like me looking at my boys and saying, Lord Isaiah, or Lord Christian, you don't do that. So how can this be? And you say, well, where did David say that at? And I, I like this, think about it. How can he be the son of David and also the Lord of David? How can those two things go together? I'm going to tell you, this is good. And he says, where does he say it at? Well, I like this too, because he says, how then doth David say it in the Scriptures? And he says, David in the Spirit said this. David, under divine inspiration, called the Christ his Lord. This shows what Jesus thought about the Old Testament, that the entire Old Testament was divinely inspired by God. We don't unhitch from the Old Testament. We don't say the Old Testament isn't relevant to us anymore. That's complete and utter nonsense. We view the Old Testament, how Jesus viewed the Old Testament, as divinely inspired. So where did David say it at? And now he quotes in verse 44, Psalm 110. Jesus preaches a text. 
One verse, one psalm, all about Jesus. Now watch this. What does Psalm 110 teach us about Christ? Let's just read this verse. And, and I think those first, let me count them, one, two, three, four, five, six words are some of the most profound words in the entire Bible. This is, again, quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. He says, the Lord, and you notice that is in all capital letters. I hope it is in your Bible. All capital letters said unto my Lord, which is David's Lord, which is the cross he's talking about. The Lord said unto my Lord, and that second Lord is capital L, lowercase o-r-d. What you have here is an inner Trinitarian conversation where God the Father is talking to God the Son. David is just overhearing it. So he hears the Lord Yahweh, which is the, the, the big name of God, talking to Adonai, the sovereign one, and he calls him his Lord. Yahweh saying to Adonai that Christ isn't just David's son. Christ is David's Lord. So this teaches us right here at the very outset of this verse. And I'm going to give you three things it's teaching us. That the Christ won't just be the son of David. He will be the Lord of David. That he is, he is, he is on par, equal with God the Father. Now let's just keep going. So what does Yahweh say to Adonai? Sit thou on my right hand. This is, this is a wow statement. The Father is saying to the Son, sit right here beside me. Sit on my right. Sit on my place of honor, my place of authority, my, my place of, of sovereignty, my place of highest honor, my place of highest authority. He's saying, sit on the throne with me. Handing him a crown and handing him a scepter and saying, you're going to sit right beside me with the same authority, with the same sovereignty, equal with me. The Christ will be equal with the Father. That's a big statement. The Christ is equal with Yahweh. <sighs> the Christ is on par with Him. That Christ is sovereign. That Christ is ruling and reigning. And this happened. The Father said to the Son at His ascension, Sit by me and you rule and you reign in this seat permanently and continuously. Jesus is there reigning right now. He won't reign in the future. He's reigning right now. He has the authority right now to do whatever He wants to do. He has the authority to answer all of our prayers. He has the authority to build His church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. He has the authority to overcome any difficulty in your life. He has the authority to defeat every one of His enemies. Jesus is presently and currently ruling and reigning on His throne in heaven. That's the Christ. He is Lord and He is Sovereign. And there's another one in here. I mean, this is teaching big, big truth about Jesus. He's coming back as judge. Look at this. He's Lord, verse 44, uh, first part, my Lord. He's sitting on the right hand. That's sovereignty. And he's going to sit there until I make your enemies a footstool. Jesus is coming back one day. 
And he's not coming back to give everybody a group hug. He's coming back to judge. Sit here, rule and reign, until I put all your enemies underneath your foot. This is an Old Testament picture of defeat. Complete defeat. In the Old Testament, when you beat somebody in war, you know what you did to them? You'd take your foot and you'd put it on their throat and they became your footstool. <laughs> he says, I'm going to take every single enemy that you, that you have and you'll put your foot on their throat. Back to Genesis 3 verse 15. You're going to put your foot on the throat of Satan. You're going to put your foot on the throat of death. You're going to put your foot on the throat of hell. And everybody who opposed you and came against you, and Jesus had plenty of enemies, and He has plenty of enemies today who are opposing Him and against Him and coming after Him, and we sit here now with great comfort knowing one day He'll put them all under His feet. Get this. I I think this is phenomenal. Jesus walked to the crucifixion a day later, knowing what the end would be. Quoting this verse, he knew that all the enemies he'd face walking to the cross would one day be underneath his foot. Wow. Do you know that? That as we walk through life, everything and everybody who opposes Christ will one day be underneath his foot. I mean, you've got government officials today who are throwing up their fists and laughing at Christ and his church. You don't do that if you know that one day you'll be underneath his foot. It's all over our nation today. People throwing their fists up at Almighty God. He's coming back. He's not just that man that they said, the son of David, who's a nice guy, an accepting guy. He's teaching. He's motivating. He's helper. He's my friend. He is those things, but he's also the Lord of heaven and earth. He's sovereign over all creation. He's seated on his throne even now, ruling over the entire world. And he's coming back again to judge. So you have to get the full picture of who Christ is. Not just man. But God. That's that's, that's the answer. I mean, I I love this. Do you see that there's so much more to Jesus than we could ever imagine? This is expanding our understanding of who He is. Christ is far greater. And we have a a much fuller picture of Jesus in His entirety. So now back to the question, verse 45. So he, He lays this out to them. So if David then called Him Lord on this hand, then how is He Son on this hand? You see that? that there's that, there's the, the, the trick to the question. How can He be both Son and Lord? Now I'm going to give you the answer. You guys ready for this? He doesn't give the answer. He just lays it out in front of them and we'll get to it in the end. They're just sitting there like, I don't know. How can those two things be? Both Son and Lord. How? Watch this. We understand it. Here's the answer. Jesus is David's son. We believe that entirely. We affirm that. That Jesus is truly man. That He took on flesh. Watch this. He's a man. He was flesh and blood. 
John 1 says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He smelled like a man. He slept like a man. He walked around like a man. You could touch him. You could put your arm around him. You could lay your head on his shoulder. He got tired. He laughed and he smiled. He ate food. And he ate normal, everyday food. Fish. It wasn't like every morning he got up and the angels brought him angel food cake or something. I would say Little Debbie's, but... It, uh, I thought they gave him manna from heaven or something. No, no, he ate everyday food just like we eat. He was truly and fully a man. He had a common name. Jesus was an everyday name. It wasn't like we hear it today and we hear Jesus and, and it's like, oh, we know who that is. We was at a ball game the other day watching baseball and there's a parent behind us using that name in vain. Me and Steph and, and, and the other kids are sitting there saying, I, I can't take that. They're, they're using Jesus' name wrong. But in that time, Jesus was just a Bob. Just a normal name, a normal man. And get this, you couldn't even pick Jesus out of a lineup. That's how, that's how he, he, he was just like everybody else. He was Jewish just like they were. You say, how do you know you couldn't pick him out of a lineup? Well, when Judas came to get him in the garden and all the soldiers came with him, they said, how are we going to know who he is? All of them look alike. <laughs> and Judas said, the one that I kiss on the cheek, that'll be the one you get. That'll be him. So he was fully and truly a man, a son of David, a son of, and that's one of Jesus' favorite terms to use for himself, son of man. We affirm that. We believe that. He's also David's Lord in that he is far superior than David could have ever imagined. In that he is God's son. In that he is God in flesh. That he, and, and I gave you some, some characteristics of a man, but let me, let me give you some characteristics of, of God. What's this? He controlled nature. Only God could do that. Only God could step out on a boat. The man was asleep at the bottom of the boat. God gets up and tells the storm, shh. And it obeys like that. <laughs> he created food from nothing. It's not like he takes ingredients like we do. And, and, and me and Steph have gotten so good. We got a, we've got this smoker. And we, we, can, we can get some good meat. And we take ingredients. And we take spices. And we go to the store and buy the meat. And we get it all there and, and prepare it. But Jesus had no spices. He had nothing to put on it. He had no meat. He had nothing. And right there in his own hands, he created food. Who does that? God in flesh does that. He healed the sick. He forgave sin. He raised the dead. He accepted worship. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is truly and fully God. He is both man and God. They understood the man part, but they totally missed the God part. He is the God-man. I love that. 
Jesus is Lord. And we need to say that over and over and over. In every sermon we should say, Jesus is Lord. He is curious. He's the God-man. And watch this. I love it. He's the one that we love with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our spirit, with all of our strength. Go back a few verses. Look at this. When they gave the greatest command, and I've, I've got arrows here. I didn't, I didn't draw it until the other day when I really understood it. It's the, the, the greatness of expository preaching. Watch this. He said, when they asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord thy God. I've got an arrow that from Lord thy God down to called Him Lord. So the one that he says we need to love with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, with all that we are, he's saying, love me like that. <laughs> yeah. He's the one we love. He's the one we share. Our evangelism should be full of who Jesus is. He's the one we confess. Amen. Romans 10.9 says that if thou shalt confess the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you'll be saved. You can't take... It puts Lord in there on purpose. He's also the one who took on flesh and came on a saving mission to go to a cross and die for us. And only, only the God-man could have saved us on that cross. Jesus is, and I'm going to move on. I'm not going to pay attention to the time. Jesus is unique. There's no one else like Him. There's no one else even in His category. He is the one and the only God-man. Let's read you one verse. You don't have to turn there. I've had you turning enough. Romans chapter 1, the very beginning of what's been called God's gospel. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Right there in that verse 3. Both Lord and God's Son, and man, David's Son. What a verse. He's the Son of God and the Son of Man. He's the David's Son and David's Lord. He's man and more than man. Verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God. How do you know? With power according to the Spirit of holiness, because He raised Himself from the dead. He is both man and and God. Wow. What a statement. And he just laid it out there to them. He is David's son. And he is David's Lord. You put those two things together and it gives us Jesus Christ our Lord. So, that's the correct answer. And I'm going to give you finally, I've given you the close answer and close isn't good enough. Again, if you're, throwing, if, you, if you're throwing hand grenades, close is good. If you're throwing horseshoes, and I, and I have. I never get too close, but close is good. 
The close isn't good enough when it comes to Christ. You've got to get this right. And, 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 and this is, again, this is thinking. This is, this is theology. This is wrapping your mind around who He, he is and, and who He was and what He came to do for us. And these cult and, cults in Christianity get this wrong. Be very careful of anyone who tries to tell you wrong about Jesus. This is, this is our fundamental belief about Him. So I've showed you the close answer. I've showed you the correct answer. Now I want to close with verse 46 and the clueless answer. The clueless answer. Watch what they say. And before I even go into what they say, I wish there was something said between verse 45 and 46. They could have right here, and, and, and this is... This is I don't, I don't know if you see this. This is, this is me just trying to, to, to read verse by verse and, and, and almost not even going into the next verse. Because at verse 45, I, I, I want to say, if David didn't call him Lord, then how is he his son? Because I think right there, the, the, it's clear. I mean, he's both David's son and, and, he, and he's both uh, David's Lord. And, and you put two and two together, it's math. It comes out and it's, it's very clear and it's, it's obvious and it's, and it's simple. And, and they've been told and they've, they've seen it and they, they've had a front row seat to it. They could have put this together that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I mean, there it is right there. Why can't they see it? I mean, I want to go to verse 46 and I want to say, okay, let's give an altar call. And he looks at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the, the Herodians and, and he says, do you see now? Now come all and, and anyone and put your faith in me and be saved. But they, they don't. After all this, and I, I think it's there, after all this, their hatred and their hypocrisy, I think at verse 45, he's still giving them a chance. Still giving them a chance. They've hated him. They've made fun of him. They've been hypocrites. And Jesus is still asking that question. And if they answer it and get it right, they'll be okay. His arms are still open here. He's just days away from the cross and he's still the compassionate Savior. And he's still inviting these sinners. But they would not. It breaks my heart that they would not. Look, 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 I mean, we're, we're going to go into it next week, but look at chapter 23. He just goes on a long, long, and, and it may take us months to get through chapter 23. He says, woe unto you. Woe unto you. And I've underlined it. Verse 13, woe unto you. Verse 13, you hypocrites. Verse 14, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Verse 15, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16, woe unto you, you blind gods. Verse 17, you fools and blind. Why can't you see this? Verse 19, you fools, blind. We're going to get into that. He just, just tears into them. And I think it's because they just missed it. Right here. They got the correct answer and they don't write it down. It's like they, he gave them a cheat sheet. And just said, here it is, guys. Here's the right answer. And they wouldn't. Let me just ask you this. 
How many times have you, I mean, here we are today, I'm giving you the right answer about Jesus and laying it right in front of you. And there's lost people here who refuse to believe in that Jesus. And it's right out in front of them, front row seat sermon, telling you who he is and who you need to believe in. And they sit there and just clueless. Why can't you see? Why can't you understand who he is? So the response is, is typical. As clear as it is, and they still won't believe in confessing. I mean, we live this stuff, don't we? This is real life. I walk out of most church services thinking, how in the world did they sit there? (coughs) Watch what they do, and I'll close. And no man was able to answer him a word. They couldn't argue anymore. They had nothing to say. They had no rebuttal. <laughs> but, but, no, I mean, there wasn't even a but, but come out. I mean, it was, there was nothing. It was just their lips were zipped shut. It's like he muzzled them. That question just threw them for a loop. And it says, and they d- dared not ask another question of him. <laughs> they were completely defeated. I mean, it's like they had a debate, all of chapter 22, question, 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 and then he turns it around with one simple verse out of Psalm 110 and totally destroys them. And they walk away. Lost. Because look who he talks to next. He spoke to the multitude and to the disciples. Wasn't talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He begins to talk about the scribes and the Pharisees. So they walk away lost. They walk away more hard-hearted than when they came. They walked away cold-hearted and stone-hearted. And they kept on rejecting him until finally they put him on a cross. And how many times do you think, I mean, just, just sitting in a church pew, you hear truth like this, and you reject it, and your heart gets harder. And you reject it and your heart gets harder. And you reject it and your heart gets harder. Till you get to the point where there's no more chance. Which is what Matthew 23 looks like to me. A curse on them. It's over. And you could sit in your pew today, time after time after time, and hear these truths and reject these truths. Don't think you got tomorrow because you might not. Chapter 23 is all going to be one big, I mean, you see it, it's all red words, and it goes all the way through 39 verses. And I, I can keep going. Verse 23, whoa. Verse 24, you blind guides. Verse 25, whoa. Uh, verse 26, thou blind Pharisee. Verse 27, woe unto you. Verse 29, woe unto you, you hypocrites. Verse 33, it gets even worse. You serpents, you generations of vipers, how can you escape the, the damnation of hell? <laughs> I mean, he just, he just lays it out there. And you think Jesus is Mr. Nascot. At the end of this passage, he is Mr. Nice Guy. You got a chance. But after they, they walk away, no more chance. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Curse, curse, curse. They've been given the answer and still failed the test. You want to know what you're, you're, where you're at today? You've been given the answer on who Jesus is. It would be foolish to now fail the test. It'd be foolish. Uh, foolish. Here, here he is. You know who he is. 
Don't fail the test. So the question before us all here today. Now, what do you think about Jesus? We may have all kinds of questions we'd like to ask Jesus. But at the end of the day, it's not about what we ask him. It's about what he asks us. What do you think about Jesus? And this goes, this is a question for every child, every man, every woman in this room. I can't answer it for you. I can stand up here and say, this is what the Bible says. I can stand up here and say, this is what I say. I can stand up here and say, this is what I believe, and this is what our church believes. But you must believe these things for yourself. You must think and get this in your head and say, yes, that's who he is. And the answer must be, Jesus is Lord. And it can't be just, Jesus is Lord. It must be, Jesus is my Lord. You have to say that for yourself. That's who he is. Can you, in your mind, think about it? I want you to think. Because he tells us to think about it here. But in Romans 10, he tells us to believe it here. Are you with me? Because it has to travel. It has to go from, I'm thinking about him. He is David's son. He's David's Lord. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He is Lord. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. So you get that here. You wrap your minds around it here. That's why we bring our minds to church. I think. And there's a lot of people that, that think it. But how many of you have truly believed it? Let, let, let me give you something. You, you don't have to turn there. I'm trying to. I, I prayed last night. God help me to preach between 50 minutes and an hour. I don't want to go over. And I'm doing good. <laughs> I don't need to preach faster. Y'all need to listen faster. (laughs) But in Romans 10, it says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe where? In your heart, that God raised Him from the dead, then you'll be saved. For with with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That when it says in the heart, it's a personal, public confession. To the fullest sense, in the deepest part of our being. Do you not, I've got to get it away from here. It has to start here, but do you have it here? Do you really mean it when you say it? It's not just some, some, I'm repeating what what you told me to say. It goes beyond that to here where you say, I really mean it and I own it and He is truly my Lord. Not just my helper, not just my friend, not just a a, a teacher. He is my Lord and I I bow down to Him and I submit to Him and I, I live for Him. I own this. I am His slave and His servant and He is my Lord. Can you say that today? Because if you can't, then if it hasn't traveled from here to here, there's a lot of religious people that have it up here. My kids may have it down here because they've been taught that down there. It's got to travel from here to here. You've got to get that. You've got to get that. Can you say that here? And if not, you got the question wrong. Because you can't just know it up here. you got to have it down here. And if you have it, then I invite you today. And I do. This is the George Whitfield in me. I invite you today. As I live and here I stand. I invite anyone in here who's not truly believed in Jesus Christ as Lord. 
There's an open invitation to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want you to be half right. <laughs> I want you to be all right. So I invite you today around this room and you could easily, simply pray, God, I believe in your Son in my heart. In my heart of hearts. In the deepest part of my being, I own Jesus as Lord. Don't be half in. Be all in. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I'll close. He says, listen. He said this in a sermon. This was written in a book. At the end of one of his sermons, he said, listen to the ticking of the clock. <laughs> just, just think about that. Listen to the ticking of the clock. As the pendulum swings back and forth, it says to you, now or never. Now or never. Now or never. He says, will you believe in Jesus now? Because if you don't, you may never have another chance again. Now or never. Now or never. So as that clock ticks, I want you to land on now and put your faith in Christ today. For he is both David's son and David's Lord. He is the son of man and he is the son of God. He is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I invite you to believe in him today. Let's pray. Father, as I'm standing here now, I pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would draw those to you in this room who are unbelievers. I pray that you would convince their mind of who your Son is and that you would change their hearts so that they put their faith in you. One of my great fears as a pastor living in this area, and I'm so thankful for the Bible Belt, I'm thankful for the gospel ministry that's been in this community. I'm thankful for the churches. I'm thankful for the people who brought their kids to church and have been in this community for generations. I'm thankful for Sunday school teachers who have taught and preachers who have stood in even this pulpit and taught. But my great fear is that we know it in our heads, but we don't know it in our hearts. So God, if there's anyone in here this morning who knows this truth in their head, They've never owned it in their heart. That Jesus is, is Lord in their mind, but he's, he's not Lord in their life. That the day would be the day that they would say, simply, I'm all in. I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord in my heart. And I believe if there's a child, if there's a, a, an elderly person, if there's a man, if there's a woman in this room, and they truly said, I believe in Jesus as Lord in my heart that today you'd save him. So God, do that. I can only bring it to their ears. Your spirit must bring it to their heart. So God, I pray that you do that here. Do it now as we're even praying. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.